WHMP. And welcome to the show, everybody. Hello, Dan. Hey, Buzz. How it's are you? Um, I'm great. It's a, it's a great day. Um, today, as you know, is the 21st anniversary of that dreadful prison camp in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. So on the second uh, half of the program at 4.30, we'll be talking to two uh, councils. One of them is both a habeas council and, a, and works in the U.S. military commissions, which in that jurisdiction, one of the 56 jurisdictions of U.S. courts, um, in the military courts, that will that is a trial that uh, sort of never really happened because the evidence has all been skewed by uh, the use of torture and unlawful activity. So we're going to have Beth Jacob, who represents people both as a habeas, challenging the constitutionality of the detention of her clients, and as a commission counsel, and Mark Falkoff, he's co-counseling co with her on one of her cases, and he also has done 13 cases as habeas, plus Nancy Tulanian from our local um, uh, No More Gitmos, No More Guantanamos, uh, chapter. She's going to be talking about the Survivors Fund to help people who got out and need our assistance. And I know all of that because I was listening to the Bill Newman show this morning. Oh, and who was the guest there? Uh, it was this lawyer I get to sit with every day. I get to enjoy and have these conversations with. So I knew it was the 21st, 21st oh, anniversary. Yeah, it's huge. 21 years of this wow. nonsense. But before that, we have really uh, one of our true experts on well, I guess he's, I'll just call him uh, an expert on the law of fairness and justice. Um, and it is John Bonifaz who is here. He's a co-founder of Free Speech for People, and he's here with us on the phone. Hello, John. Hi, Buzz. Great to be with you again. I really, just so uh, our audience knows, I know that you used to be known as a human rights and environmental lawyer, uh, Cristobal's son, and uh, then you were known as uh, climate activist Marisol's father. And now people actually know who you are on your own right. Congratulations, John. Thank you. Yes, I appreciate that. <laughs> so you folks have been so busy at Free Speech for People. Um, and uh, I want to talk about some of the things that you've been working on. The House Select Committee, can you tell us what your involvement is and where we're at in that regard? Yes. Well, of course, the House Select Committee on the January 6th insurrection issued its final report last month prior to the ending of the 117th Congress, knowing that it would be disbanded with the start of the 118th Congress. And that report demonstrates even further that Donald Trump and his allies engaged in an insurrection, uh, and they need to be held accountable, both in the criminal context, and they issued criminal referrals over to the Department of Justice for that uh, with respect to Donald Trump and others, but also with respect to Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, which, as we've discussed previously, is that provision of the Constitution that makes clear if you've taken an oath of office to defend the Constitution and then you engage in insurrection, you're forever barred from holding public office again. The report identifies Section 3 of the 14th Amendment as an important remedy here. Uh, and I think it's clear for secretaries of state and chief election officials across the country that they now need to do their job, follow the mandate of this provision, and bar Donald Trump from any future ballot. And so where does litigation stand right now? Well, we haven't yet initiated any litigation challenging Donald Trump's eligibility, but we've been quite public about the fact that we plan to file those challenges, uh, and I think that's going to happen uh, starting this year. Uh, I, I also think, frankly, that there will be decisions that secretaries of state and chief election officials will, will have to make. Uh, and we're engaged with a whole campaign with our national partner, Mi Familia Vota, at trumpisdisqualified.org. And people can go to trumpisdisqualified.org. They can sign our petition that calls on secretaries of state to follow this mandate of Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, and they can read the draft declaration, detailed declaration that we have provided for secretaries of state to consider in declaring Donald Trump disqualified. Yeah, 
and, and I don't know how there's any doubt if you actually read the text of the section to me because it doesn't say just say somebody who was engaged in or committed, I forget the language, uh, an insurrection or rebellion. It also says, or given aid or comfort. Correct. Which is, I don't know how anybody could argue that Donald Trump did not give aid and comfort right. to those people. Right. But, you know, there's a fair amount of mythology going on around this amendment. For example, there's the argument being made by at least one Secretary of State who happens to be the Massachusetts Secretary of the Commonwealth, Bill Galvin, that there must first be a criminal conviction in order for Section 3 of the 14th Amendment to be enforced. That's absolutely untrue. There's nothing in the text of the language of that constitutional provision that says that. And two separate judges in Georgia and in New Mexico last year looked at this question and determined no criminal conviction is necessary to enforce Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. So, you know, we need to call on Secretary Galvin to do his job on this matter, but we need to call on every Secretary of State and Chief Election Official to follow this mandate and not hide behind the false argument that they need to wait for the Department of Justice to do its job. I, mean, I, I just want to say, I want to say here, here to that, and, and by way of disclosure, you, uh, John Boniface, did in fact run against uh, Bill Gavin, Galvin for, as Secretary of State, and um, yeah, I, I would just say that the initials of the person that I voted for were John Boniface. So, <laughs> well, look, you know, I mean, he was asked this during the campaign, actually. That's why I know what his position is, because his opponent at the time, Tanisha Sullivan, said she would enforce Section 3 of the 14th Amendment against Donald Trump. And he was asked his position. He made up this argument of, of the need for a criminal conviction. So I, I really hope that he understands the, the text of the, of the Constitution on this one and the history and the recent rulings and reverses his position and applies it to Donald Trump when the Republican primary comes around. Okay. Uh, you folks at Free Speech for People are, you have so many irons in the fire, uh, all of which are incredibly important, uh, and one of which is in, involves money in politics and particularly with state corporate spending um, in the election arena. Could you talk about that? Yes, absolutely. So we have model legislation that we've been advancing across the country to end foreign influence corporate spending in our elections. When the U.S. Supreme Court issued its Citizens United ruling in January 2010, which was the day we were founded, President Obama soon thereafter gave his State of the Union address, and the justices were seated before him, and he and he criticized the ruling in front of them, in front of the nation, and said it would lead to foreign influence in our elections. And Justice Alito, sitting there, famously broke decorum, shook his head, and mouthed the words, that's not true. Justices, as you know, are supposed to sit there silently and not indicate pro or, or con positions on anything. Separation of powers, and that was the executive's turn. Exactly. But, you know, Justice Alito decided to weigh in uh, with, that, with that image. And, in fact... Uh, President Obama's prediction had proven to be true. The Russian interference in the election in 2016 is one example, but there's also the example of how foreign investors are now able to subvert existing law that bars foreign nationals from having any role in our elections through the corporate form. And the way they do that is they can influence corporate political expenditure decision-making, which was allowed as a result of Citizens United. So there's this huge loophole from the Citizens United ruling that needs to be closed to end this foreign influence in our elections, and that's through this model legislation. We've already won it in Seattle. It's the law of the land in Seattle, and Seattle no longer has foreign influence corporate spending in elections, which includes a company like Amazon, which has significant foreign investment. Uh, and it's already passed in the New York Senate with bipartisan support. It's pending in a number of other state legislatures, including in Massachusetts, and we're hopeful this is going to be an important way to address some of the worst abuses of the Citizens United ruling. And we invite people to join us at freespeechforpeople.org to learn more about this campaign. And I, and I believe that there had, every poll that's been done in this, is, it's got overwhelming support of people from both stripes, right? Uh, yes. I think it's like Our 80%. partner at the national level, the Center for American Progress, has done specific polling on this question more than 70% of the people across the political spectrum 
agree that foreign influence corporate spending should be barred. Uh, you know, we, we, this is about American self-government, uh, and we should not have foreign investors using the corporate form to influence our elections. John Bonifaz, as the president and the founder of Free Speech for People, you have so many um, fronts that you're fighting for democracy, you're fighting for fairness, you're fighting for justice, um, and you're fighting against corruption and abuse of power. How, how do you keep so many balls in the air? Well, we have a dedicated team, Buzz, you know, of people on our staff, and also we, we partner with pro bono law firms and with allied organizations all across the country. There's a vibrant democracy movement across the land. It may not get reported in the mainstream media on a regular basis, but it's happening out there. Uh, and we wouldn't be able to do any of this work without the partners that we have across the country and certainly without the dedication of everybody on the team. We, we believe in the work we're doing. Uh, we, we know uh, it's, a, it's an uphill fight in many instances, but it has to be waged, and we, and we have to keep fighting to protect our democracy. And how is free speech for people, which, by the way, uh, people can find out a whole lot more about it if they don't know about it, freespeechforpeople.org, but how's it get funded? How do you do what you do? Well, we get support from grassroots donors all over the country. We also get support from foundations and from some major donors. But we do rely on individual uh, grassroots donor support to help us fuel and propel our work. Uh, and, you know, look, I, I think that more and more people are waking up to the fact that this is a critical question of our time, how we protect uh, and defend our democracy in the face of all these threats. We haven't touched on the voting rights question, but as we know, you know, right to vote is under attack by those who would like to suppress the vote, intimidate voters. We have a case, for example, in the state of Colorado that's challenging an extremist QAnon-inspired uh, group that's been going door-to-door with an illegal voter intimidation campaign. And that case in federal court has been pending for a number of months, and the U.S. Justice Department just weighed in on our side in support of our legal arguments. So there's a lot of work to be done uh, to protect the franchise and to protect our democracy. So what, what do you think the impact of having the Justice Department weighing in on your side is for the, uh, basically the, uh, the merits of the case? Well, I think it's very significant because really in prior voter intimidation cases that, that either we have brought or that the Justice Department has brought, they didn't involve this kind of activity of door-to-door intimidation. This is a new evolution of, of those who engage in voter intimidation. It's, it's very threatening to our democracy because now people are going to fear that if they participate in the elections, they might get a knock on the door, potentially by an armed agent, claiming that they voted fraudulently, taking photographs of their homes. All these activities by this extremist group are, are frankly prohibited under the Voting Rights Act. But for the Justice Department to weigh in, which was not something we knew about, we didn't solicit it, uh, it's, it's going to have an important impact on the federal court as it weighs the questions in this case. Promising. We are going to take a break. We're talking to John Bonifaz, the president, the founder of Free Speech for People, and Marisol's dad. We'll be right back after these messages. Stay with us. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMT. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. We have a very unique and lethal combination of emboldened white supremacy in this country and unfettered access to guns. We need to keep talking about the intersection of white supremacy and guns. Guns are used in order to you know, elicit fear and power and control by white supremacists. And it's not an issue that's going away easily. 101.5, 1400, and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. Come on over to the co-op, the Greenfield Cooperative Bank. Hi, I'm Jay Sealer, Vice President Commercial Lending at Greenfield Cooperative Bank and its Northampton Co-op Bank Division. Our team of commercial lenders are here to help you and your business grow this year. I'm Laura Guzik, Vice President Commercial Lending. We're a small business administration preferred lender and all of our lenders at the co-op 
have individual lending authority, which means fast local decisions so you can get back to business. I'm Adam Baker, Vice President Commercial Lending. Are you ready to chat with one of our experienced local lenders? Visit bestlocalbank.com or meet with us in person at any of our Franklin or Hampshire County locations. Or if it's more convenient, we'll even meet you at your business. So come on over to the co-op and see me, Jay Sealer. Or me, Maura Guzik. Or me, Adam Baker. Greenfield Cooperative Bank is an equal housing lender, member FDIC, member DIF. You can count on your friends at the co-op. 586-1000. Good phone number, right? It's the number Whalen Insurance got when we opened in 1961. It's still our number more than 60 years later. If you need an insurance quote or have a claim, just call 586-1000. We answer the phone, ready to help. That's our pledge to you, until now. Now when you call, we'll answer, and if it's something clerical or routine, like an address change, we're going to transfer you to the Arbella Insurance Call Center in Quincy. You'll be connected with a real person there, too. You won't be entering your policy number on the dial pad. The Arbella Call Center. I told myself Whalen Insurance would never do this. But insurance agent friends all over New England tell me it actually works really well. So we're going to try it. And if it doesn't work well, I'm sure you'll let us know by calling 586-1000. Whalen Insurance. Local people, local service, local insurance. In partnership with Arbella Insurance. Hi, this is Jessica from Fitness Together. I meet clients every day who tell me that as the number on their scale grew higher, their self-esteem dropped lower, and going to a traditional gym absolutely terrified them. Here at Fitness Together, we'll work with you one-on-one, either virtually or in one of our private suites in Amherst or Northampton. We'll help you set and reach your fitness goals, and most importantly, smile every time you look in the mirror. Fitness Together in Amherst and Northampton. Your self-worth is worth Fitness Together. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. It is the 21st of January, the 21st of January, the 21st anniversary of Guantanamo. We're going to be talking with folks then. It is January 11th, and we're talking with John Bonifaz, the tireless uh, advocate for um, fair elections and democracy um, with his organization, Free Speech for People. And John, when we were during the break, we were talking. I sometimes I'm ashamed of myself because that which um, causes me great consternation, I get very passionate about it, and sometimes it just over time gets lost. Michael Cohen, who was the sort of fixer for Trump prior to when he was uh, just doing business or whatever he did before he became president. Um, and uh, the Mueller investigation that resulted in, in an impeachment, um, sort of, kind of. Uh, what what happened to those things? They just sort of petered out. Well, that, that really is an qu- important question, because as we know, the Mueller investigation identified 10 separate incidents of obstruction of justice that Donald Trump engaged in to block that investigation to the coordination between the Trump campaign and the Russian government to interfere in the 2016 election. And as we also know, the president's form, the former president's lawyer, Michael Cohen, was indicted for engaging in a conspiracy, criminal conspiracy to defraud the United States to engage in various campaign finance crimes. Uh, and named in that indictment was individual one who directed that conspiracy, and that was Donald Trump. So you have these two separate... Department of Justice investigations that identified federal crimes that Donald Trump committed. And when Merrick Garland got to the Department of Justice as Attorney General, you know, he had all that evidence available to proceed in holding Donald Trump accountable. He didn't do anything with it. And then we now learn that he's appointed a special counsel with respect to two matters uh, for investigation of Donald Trump. One is the role that he played in the January 6th insurrection. And the other is the classified document scandal in Mar-a-Lago. But importantly, when he made that announcement and appointed that special counsel, Jack Smith, he said it was necessary so as to identify independence uh, from the Department of Justice and and the fact that he was appointed, uh, Merrick Garland was, by President Biden. Uh, and, And the fact that he didn't include in that mandate for the special counsel these other existing matters 
for which all this evidence has been presented previously demonstrates that the Department of Justice and Merrick Garland have effectively abandoned all prosecution for those prior pre-2020 crimes that Donald Trump committed. And it's really an outrage when you consider that we had all this evidence leading up to the appointment of Merrick Garland and nothing has been done to hold Donald Trump accountable for those crimes. And it looks like the Department of Justice has made a decision that it won't hold him accountable for those crimes. You know, it's so interesting. This, uh, what's today? Two days ago, uh, on Monday, um, we had a professor, a sociologist, um, uh, Bernardo Solge, from, live from Rio, talking about the um, insurrectionists who physically assaulted and invaded uh, all three, the seat of all three branches, the presidential palace, the Congress hall, Supreme Court place. And um, I asked him about that and just sort of was analogizing what happened on January 6th. And this, this happened on January 8th. Uh, uh, two days before was the was second anniversary of January 6th, right. and I talked to him about that, and he said, yeah, but here's the difference. Immediately, 1,500 of those approximately 6,000 insurrectionists were arrested. Right. Um, immediately after, 27 of the 28 governors were brought together by President Lula, um, and they all condemned it, and they all promised prosecutions, and they immediately jumped on it. And here we are so many years later after Donald Trump's obvious offenses. They weren't they were done live and in color in our right. we saw it in our living room and he still hasn't been held to account. And there's one quick thing if I could just quickly add. Please Buzz. do. The party that Bolsonaro, who is the former president of Brazil, is a part of is called the Liberal Party. And they're actually pretty well represented in Brazilian Congress. They came out with statements condemning the sea. So that's what I think the professor was implying is that the difference between us in the United States versus Brazil is most of the Brazilian elites, even the ones that opposed the current president Lula, came out and condemned what they saw in those elections publicly, officially. Um, the difference is here you have a large number of Republicans, certainly not all, who um, still want to believe everything they've said, you know, from the big lie to the certainly election, most. everything most. And we have an attorney general who's sitting on his hands. Right. Well, that exactly. the Democrats have to respond to, right? So they they're, they're, they're do, but, but, but unfortunately, but fortunately, we have people like John Boniface and, and organizations like Free Speech for People who are working hard to hold wrongdoers to account, especially when it's the future of our democracy at stake. Well, and it just highlights the importance of Section 3 of the 14th Amendment here, because we can't eye entirely on the Department of Justice to hold Donald Trump accountable. We have to engage in ensuring that secretaries of state and chief elections officials all across the country apply the mandate of that critical constitutional provision and bar Donald Trump from any future ballot. That That is a fight that is worth waging and needs to be waged. And uh, people should just remember, this was not some... Uh, imaginary sort of uh, fantastical possibility that the authors of the 14th Amendment envisioned. This was written in 1868 following a real insurrection, a real rebellion by people who called themselves rebels and who caused uh, the tumult and horrors of the Civil War. So this banning of people from running for office who had caused insurrection or rebellion or worked in support thereof, uh, it was pretty important then, and they saw exactly what we saw on January 6th. A absolutely. And Jefferson Davis, you know, who had taken the oath of office as a member of the U.S. Senate and as a member of the U.S. House, and then became the president of the Confederacy, he was Exhibit A for the framers of the 14th Amendment and recognizing that he could not return to public office. Donald Trump is the Jefferson Davis of our time and must be barred from any future ballot. Here, here, here. It is John Boniface we've been speaking with. He is uh, the president and the uh, founder of Free Speech for People. Um, check it out, folks, freespeechforpeople.org. Do some reading, and there is a donate button. Let's keep this organization fighting what our Justice Department should be fighting. But uh, thank you so much for everything you do, John. Uh, thank you. Great to be with you. Our pleasure. We're going to be right back. We're going to talk about the 21st anniversary of the Guantanamo Bay uh, dreadful prison camp down in Cuba with uh, people who know what they're talking about. We'll be right back. Stay with us. 
This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Talks are starting up once again over a proposed roundabout on North King Street in Northampton. Some are opposed to the project after Native American artifacts were found there. Carolyn Mish, Director of Planning and Sustainability, tells 22 News the Hatfield Street intersection on North King is dangerous. Roundabout was the safest, most effective way to dramatically reduce the impacts of the crashes at this intersection. MassDOT held a meeting last night to discuss new plans for the intersection after the project was initially halted in 2021. Speedway Gas Station and Convenience Store on King Street in Northampton is now closed. The company confirmed the closure with the Northampton Health Department. The front windows at 237 King Street are now boarded up and the parking lot outside empty. The mayor's office reported that the health department officials learned of the closure after contacting Speedway's representatives Monday afternoon. The gas station has been boarded up for at least a week. East Hampton is getting a new building downtown. A 25,000-square-foot mixed-use residential and retail development is currently under construction at 4749 Cottage Street. It is the first new building in the city's downtown in nearly two decades. The three-story building will include 23 apartments, five of which will be designated as affordable housing units, and commercial space for up to three tenants. The project is expected to be completed by mid to late August. Increasing clouds this afternoon with a high of 34 to 38. Mostly cloudy tonight, chance for a passing flurry overnight, low 20 to 26. A couple of snow showers early tomorrow morning, then it's rain and snow showers for the rest of the day. A high of 42 to 46. We start the day Friday with some light rain. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. Hey, it's Jason with the Weather Channel and SnowCountry.com. This winter, there are now updated COVID-19 booster shots designed for recent Omicron variants. Learn more and schedule your updated vaccine booster at Vaccine.gov, sponsored by Pfizer and BioNTech. Several chilly, dry days in a row fueled the high-powered snowmaking to keep our trails in tip-top shape. And groomers churn it all up and leave behind a smooth, loose corduroy layer. The Snow Country crew found lots to love about skiing midweek. At Berkshire East, 15 runs, two dozen for Jiminy Peak with action till 10 p.m. every night of the week. Ski Butternut on over three-quarters of their terrain. Catamounts got about a dozen runs, 14 at Ski Sundowns, about 90% of their trails. They're skiing till 10 every night. Stratton, 44 runs, 40 of those got a fresh groom overnight. They've been making snow on Upper and Lower Middlebrook, Churchill Downs, East Meadow, and several others. This report brought to you by Smugglers Notch, Vermont. Visit smugs.com and check out more at snowcountry.com. I'm Jason Dean. When you shop at River Valley Co-op, you get the best local and organic produce, a butcher shop, wine and cheese shop, fresh seafood, and hundreds of bulk herbs, spices, and more. When you shop at River Valley Co-op, you create hundreds of union jobs and generate over $7 million in purchases from local farms and businesses. River Valley Co-op is your food hub, bringing you the best from around the valley and world while supporting your neighbors and local farmers. Shop River Valley Co-op in Northampton and East Hampton today. River Valley. Hello everyone, Gordon Oliver here. So let's face it, our day-to-day lives always involve money, right? For many of us, money is always top of mind, but here at the Cambridge Connection, we want to help you reverse that trend. Every Saturday morning at 9.30 a.m. here on WHMP, my co-pilot Tina Marie and I bring you a variety of amazing experts who can help you navigate that daily financial maze of life and guide you to a better relationship with your money. Every radio program has a best of show. So tune in this Saturday to hear the Cambridge Connection Best Of. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. Welcome back, everybody who's been with us, and welcome aboard those who are just coming on. Um, Today marks a a dreadful anniversary. Um, 21 years ago, we remember seeing men um, in cages, in kennels, that were behooded and uh, with their hands and their ankles uh, behind their back, um, in shackles. It was just a terrible time for those of us who believe in uh, the rule of law. Um, It was a lawless time, and it got only worse as we had almost 780 men go through the gates of Guantanamo Bay on the southern side of Cuba in the uh, 
Naval Station, 45 square miles, what we called the Guantanamo Bay Naval Station. Um, that detention center has um, wreaked havoc on uh, our sense of fairness and on our notion of due process. But thankfully, we've had uh, heroes who for all these 21 years have persisted in challenging the might of the U.S. military um, to hold people uh, in what clearly is, in my view, <laughs> an unlawful manner. Um, and they are here with us, along with um, activist Nancy Tulanian of No More Guantanamos, um, Skyping for, uh, with us from D.C. and from Northern Illinois uh, University Law School is um, Beth Jacob, attorney Beth Jacob, the human rights attorney who has done so much to challenge the unfairness, and uh, Professor Mark Falkoff, a uh, law professor. And I want to start with you, Mark. Um, you have done how many cases? How many cases have you been involved in uh, with Guantanamo detainees? Uh, well, uh, we, we initially had 12 cases when I started working on this in 2004. We picked up several uh, over the years. Uh, I've been off and on cases, but altogether I've, I've had a hand in representing maybe uh, 16 or 17 of the men there. Bless you. Bless you. A lot of people don't know when we say you're habeas counsel, what does that mean? Uh, well, it, it's a little bit different than what you might think of as uh, trial lawyers' responsibilities. What we are doing is asking a court simply to review the legality of the detention of someone who's in prison. Um, really, habeas is, is something that goes way back to Magna Carta and even a little bit earlier than that in the 13th century. And the basic idea is just that there has to be some kind of judicial oversight so that the king or a governor can't throw you into a dungeon away from the sight of everyone. Uh, you have to, as uh, in, uh, a, a warden or, or someone imprisoning someone, you, you have to justify why you're detaining someone to the court. So it's really just a safeguard for fundamental rule of law values. Right. So quite often people talk about defending the defense counsel for Guantanamo detainees. That is true in one setting, and we'll talk about that in a minute, in the military commissions, we call them. But habeas counsel are really challenging the constitutionality of the detention. You're co-counseling a case with Beth Jacob, are you not? I am, yes. And so I want to turn to you, Beth. Hi, and thank you so much for joining us. I'm glad to be here. Could you tell us about the case that you and Mark are working on and also let us know how many cases you are currently involved in? Well, I'm currently involved in actively representing five men who are in. Um, I, before that, represented six men who now are out. And I have like a little pinky in just dabbling a bit in two more. So for me, it's only 13. Um, <laughs> But, <laughs> only but I would only good number, I guess. Um, so I think the case that Mark and I are working on exemplifies why it is still a terrible time for those who believe in rule of law at Guantanamo. Um, Mark describes habeas as if the people who are still there actually had some serious judicial review, but Guantanamo world is different from everything else, I think. And that has not happened for most of the men who are in and most of those, in fact, who got out. So we represent together somebody who has been at Guantanamo now for about 20 years. Um, he has never had any judicial review of his detention. We're, that's what Mark and I are trying to get done. Um, even when he does have that judicial review, there'll be no due process in the sense that he cannot know who is making any statements against him. He cannot know what was said about it. In some cases, he cannot even know what the government claims that he is supposed to have done that justifies them holding him incarcerated for so long. And the way the law has developed is now the court, the judge, has to, in effect, assume that the government's assertions are true. So it's a very, very high bar, I think a higher bar than it's supposed to be. Um, to try to get some real review of the executive branches, the president's decision to hold these people. And our man, um, yeah, I mean, was, I, I just wanted to, and, and this is an, ex go ahead, I'm sorry. 
No, I, did, I just wanted to point out for people, it, because Guantanamo falls, it, our democracy has been under assault. Guantanamo has been on the back pages and sometimes on no pages at all, much to the chagrin of people who understand the gravity and the importance of it. What you just said, Beth Jacob, should rattle our listeners because it is there are constitutional amendments that say you have a right to be told what the witnesses uh, who the witnesses are against you and what the evidence is against you. We have these discovery rules in not only federal but state courts that say that the prosecution has to disclose stuff. How can the government not have to disclose stuff when we believe it's the United States that's prosecuting these people? Well, that goes back to one of the reasons why the men are at Guantanamo as opposed to someplace else. It was selected intentionally in the belief that law does not apply, neither American law, nor the Constitution, nor international law. The Supreme Court, after years of litigation, um, disagreed, but still does not say, um, and none of the courts have said that due process applies. So the rights you're talking about are sort of loosely called due process. Um, so yes, they, the courts can listen to the cases, but the men still don't get what I think we as Americans believe are fundamental rights. Mm. Uh, Professor Mark Falkoff, we have these uh, 35 men who are down there still being held out of the 700 and I think 79 that were, that passed through the gates of Guantanamo. <clears throat> we have, of those 30, there's 20 who are being held in law of war detention, as they say, but they've been recommended for transfer, uh, quote, if the security conditions are met. And then there's um, another, uh, I think, three that are held in indefinite law of war detention and not recommended for transfer. My understanding of the conventions, if we go back to World War II and we think about those Nazi soldiers, some of them were conscripts, some of them were volunteers, they were being held in a prisoner of war setting. At the end of hostilities, they were released. How do we justify holding someone, especially indefinitely, in law of war detention when the law of war says different than what we're doing? <laughs> yeah, well, uh, of course, of course, that's the question and the conflict in Afghanistan, which is what most of us would uh, immediately identify the detentions at Guantanamo as uh, relating to, uh, is over. Um, our troops are gone and one would um, expect that, uh, at least when that Afghan conflict uh, ended, that there might be uh, more of an emptying out of the prison. Of course, it's never been the government's uh, position that these men were being detained as uh, prisoners of war pursuant to a particular conflict. Their position in the courts has been that they're being detained as so-called enemy combatants, a, a term we used to uh, fight about uh, in, in court and suggested was, was meaningless, uh, but that they're being detained pursuant to this inchoate idea of, uh, of war on terror. And of course, that war on terror, by definition, is, is never going to end. There's always the potential for terror out there. Um, we've, we've certainly made arguments in the uh, courts that the relevant, uh, con th th that there has to be a relevant conflict, that the detention has to be measured temporarily in, in some manner. But so far, we've been unsuccessful. Uh, and if it, I could just jump in a little please bit, please do, Beth. Some Jacob. of the men who are there, some of the men who are there, um, had nothing to do with Afghanistan. Um, and the case in point is the uh, man who both Mark and I are representing. He was supporting the Chechens when they were fighting against Russia back in the late 1990s, early 2000s. Um, he was captured in Georgia and sold to the United States. So he was you know, sold to the United States on a bounty, on a bounty, on a bounty. Yeah. Could you explain um, very briefly? We only have one minute before we're going to take a break and then we're going to come back. But explain how that bounty worked. Uh, basically, the United States said they would pay anywhere from five thousand dollars and up for Arabs who were turned over to them. Um, who they could claim had something to do with Al Qaeda or the Taliban or even not um, make that claim. So people sold others to get what is really a great deal of money. 
I thought that we were supporting the Chechens in their in their uh, battle to remain independent from Russia. We were, but after September 11th, um, at least our expert witnesses, uh, Russia got the United States and some other Westerners to say, oh, wait a sec, the Chechens are Muslim, therefore they must have something to do with Al-Qaeda. And anyway, the Russians let the U.S. use some of their territories to stage attacks on Afghanistan in exchange for the United States deciding that maybe the Chechens weren't so supportive worth after all. It's just all so chilling. We are going to take a break. We're going to come back and talk to um, attorney, human rights attorney Beth Jacob, who has been heroic in her representation of people previously in Guantanamo Bay detention and also still in Guantanamo Bay detention, plus a couple her pinkies were involved in. And then we're going to also talk with Professor Mark Falkoff, and we're going to hear what's happening locally with our champion for human rights, Nancy Tulanian. We'll be right back after these messages. Stay with us. Down in Guantanamo, we still got the boring chain. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. We still got the boring chain. That pretty piece of Cuba. What is the role of race and gender in live music, and why do concerts cost so much? Join us when we speak with Steve Waxman, Smith College professor of music and author of Live Music in America, a history from Jenny Lind to Beyonce. Steve Waxman will be our guest Thursday at 9 o'clock. Get in on the conversation. Bill Newman, weekdays at 9 and again at 5. WHMP, news, information, and the arts. Do you know what's happening this Friday at 9 a.m.? Is this week's shop Friday Roberto's? Correct! They go on sale this Friday at 9 a.m. Pasta bolognese, butternut squash ravioli, chicken broccoli alfredo, and the best thin crust pizza in the valley. Eat in at the bar or order online at Roberto's in downtown Northampton. Get ready to save 30% beginning Friday at 9 a.m. The Shop 30 store at whmp.com. One of my friends at the Stone Soup Cafe told me a story that's typical of what happens there. She was working at the community garden at the Greenfield Town Farm. She encountered an older woman there, and it was a rough encounter. She didn't leave happy. Later on that week, she came to the Stone Soup Cafe, and she found herself sitting next to that very same woman, and they developed a relationship. And the young woman goes to help the older woman with her gardening, and the older woman is giving lessons to the younger person on different plants and how to grow various things. My name is Ari Pliskin. I'm the executive director of the Stone Soup Cafe. The Stone Soup Cafe is a weekly community cafe that takes place in the parish hall of the All Souls Church church in Greenfield. By operating on a pay-what-you-can basis, it's available to all kinds of people, and a lot of people come who are hungry and who need a meal in order to meet their basic food needs, and other people come just because they love the environment and they love the atmosphere and to have a good time and be part of something special. To learn more, please visit stonesoupgreenfield.org. The KeyBank 2023 Financial Mobility Survey shows Americans are in a difficult financial position as 55% said they faced financial challenges over the last year. That's up from just 37% the year before. The overwhelming majority say budgeting is the biggest issue. The IRS is sending out refunds to millions of taxpayers for the 2020 tax year. The agency said many taxpayers who received unemployment payments overpaid because they didn't know the first $10,200 in benefits was excluded from taxation. What states have the worst roads in America? Consumer affairs researchers have published a new study based on federal and state data and consumer feedback. The study finds Hawaii has the worst roads and highways, followed by Rhode Island and Louisiana. New Hampshire has the best. I'm Mark Huffman. Learn more at ConsumerAffairs.com. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. 
And we are back talking about the 21st anniversary of the uh, of the opening of that dreadful prison camp in uh, Guantanamo Bay Naval Station, um, where there are still 35 men languishing, um, not properly charged. All 10 have been charged in military commissions, but uh, they've they've endured torture. They've endured uh, this lawless assault on their freedom while in the name of freedom. And one of our local activists who has been um, who has been active for so long since I met her maybe 40 years ago in in uh, promoting constitutional rights and due process and fairness is Nancy Tolanian of No More Guantanamos. She's a founder. She's the director of it. Hi, Nancy. Hi, Buzz. So you right now, you are involved, uh, obviously, recognizing the 21st anniversary, but you're involved in the Guantanamo Survivors Fund. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. When these men do finally leave Guantanamo, some go to countries, their home countries, and are uh, assisted, etc. But the, the vision of them leaving and going back to work on Monday is not <laughs> not possible. Uh, many of them are transferred to uh, third countries where they don't know the language, they don't receive any help, they don't have legal status, working status, and they need help. They may have serious health issues. Um, they don't have a way of earning money without a, a work permit and so on. And may not. I just want to interrupt just to say one of my clients was a Palestinian um, and he was transferred to Uruguay. And in our second or third conversation after he was transferred to Uruguay, he said, you won't believe what I'm about to say. I wish I was back in Guantanamo. At least I could talk to people. At least I, you know, he was so miserable. Um, and then we lost touch. He was so angry that he was transferred to Uruguay. So good example. Right. So... So we are have been raising funds. We started uh, at the end of Ramadan last April and uh, have been raising funds and distributing them uh, to to men in need around the world. And um, I, it's a coalition uh, that includes actually uh, Beth's organization, Healing and Recovery After Trauma, uh, Witness Against Torture, and... Um, a Muslim counterpublic slab and others, uh, and we have as our uh, outreach consultant Mansour Adafi, who is a former Guantanamo prisoner. And how do people contribute to the fund, the Survivors Fund? Uh, they can go to nogetmos.org and click on the link for the Guantanamo Survivors Fund to learn more and to make a contribution. But we've provided. Um, rent and utilities for survivors and their families. We've provided um, money for medical expenses. Uh, we have a few men who need new prosthetics that we hope to help, and uh, we're planning to um, provide a used car or down payment for a used car to a man who's working way too many hours and is too old to be working 90 hours a week and can have a taxi service. So they desperately need need assistance, and they're just not getting it in too many cases. Yeah. Uh, it might not be in the front pages, but it's still important to support these men and to understand the that the Guantanamo Bay's assault on constitutional law and international law, it just is endless. It just keeps going, and if you care about the rule of law, you'll you'll pay attention to what's going on. Attorney Beth Jacobs, who has... Still in the fray, still slugging it out with the military and the administration and the courts um, in this regard. I, I just have to ask you a personal question because I was involved, I, I say 12 years, really nine really active years. I, the others involved my pinkies as well. But what sustains you? Um, now, because... Even if I wanted to leave, there's really nobody else who, I mean, there are not lawyers anymore standing in line to help the men. So when I say nobody's there to take my place, it's not because I'm irreplaceable. It's because most of the pro bono bar has moved on. And because I still have this dream that sometime in my lifetime, I will have no clients who are at Guantanamo. I'm so impressed by you. Uh, Mark Falkoff, um, 
you <clears throat> you were involved in the compilation of those Guantanamo poems. Your sensibility was almost equal to your legal acumen, which always impressed me. So I, I just have to ask you, how do you maintain hope 20 years <laughs> later for so many of these men? Because that's what I found. I found that my job, and we used to joke, our job is to bring them food or our job is to just let them see our face. Well, I found out that my job became uh, keeping hope alive because when human beings lose hope, you know, so many of them, there are at least nine that we think committed suicide while in detention. How do you keep hope alive? Well, uh, yeah, of course, that's a, that's a good question. And it can certainly be difficult. One of the men who died at Guantanamo by suicide was in, in fact, one of my clients, Adnan Latif. And, you know, when something like that happens, it's obviously very difficult to sustain hope. On, on the other hand, um, you do feel that your uh, efforts are having an impact. And uh, we certainly felt uh, that when we were given an opportunity to have habeas hearings as deficient as they are, it often pressed the, the government to uh, uh, sometimes just release our uh, clients. So. There, there is something that can happen even at this late date. So two decades into uh, the client that Beth and I are representing, uh, two decades into his detention, uh, we, we are uh, very uh, up on the prospects of his winning his uh, habeas hearing uh, if it gets to that. He, he has been cleared for release. I mean, hopefully we, we won't uh, be required to go into court to get a judicial order. But um, you just got to keep plugging away. I mean, these are uh, long fights. The civil rights uh, battles uh, took a heck of a long time and are incomplete. And you just try not to give in to despair. I, I will uh, admit that there, there was once I gave a talk to a, a group of law students where um, I just felt a little bit uh, uh, cynical and uh, uh, jaded and uh, really questioned the, the value of uh, habeas, which is um, a, a concept that I love. And uh, uh, I felt very bad after that. I, I, that's only one time I've done, I've done that. You can't do that. You can't give in to the despair. You know, I, I talked yesterday with an immigration attorney, uh, Dan Berger, who, who told me that in the law school clinics that they, they now often have social workers that are assigned because students get, law students get so saddened when they deal with their clients with immigration problems and i think this too we only have about uh, 40 seconds left so i just want to ask you beth jacob um i want to ask you what what is the biggest takeaway that you'd like to leave our listeners with um i guess two things one is i would say this should help us all remember what happens when we let our fear make us lose sight of our standards and ideals and the second thing I would say, if you're sitting there saying, what can I do? I would say support those organizations who are supporting the current and former detainees. That's Guantanamo Survivors Fund, Nancy mentioned. That's my own organization, um, Healing and Recovery After Trauma, or hrtlaw.org. It's things like Center for Constitutional Rights. Um, don't don't give up the fight, basically. Don't give up the we're fight. we're better. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can't thank you. Both of you, thank you so much. You are truly heroes as an attorney. I'm so proud to be part of the profession. You are Nancy Tulanian. Thank you for everything that you've done for so many years. And everybody else, please have a good evening and join us tomorrow at 4 o'clock when we'll talk about more stuff. Have a good evening. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. To play this game, you've got to be as sharp as a blade, as quick as a one-timer, as tough as plexiglass. Oh, and having a solid dental plan, that's probably a good idea, too. Hit the ice all season long, Live right here on the for Northampton and the Valley since 1950. WHMP Northampton. WHMQ Greenfield. A Northampton Radio Group Station.